Hey there, you're listening to The Voice Work, a podcast featuring interviews and discussions and classes for those curious about getting to know their voice. I'm your host, Lisa Pears. Let's get started. Today's guest is Marguerite Vitfoot. Marguerite has been an active vocal coach, music director, and performer for over 25 years. In her individual and group sessions, now offered online at Awakening Voice, Marguerite helps emerging students and advanced vocal sojourners to find their voice, sing their song, and become themselves. She is also currently becoming certified as a feminine power coach, facilitator, and leader, and will soon be offering opportunities for women to reimagine and reinvent their lives. Thank you for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure. We met way back in, I think, 2004 or something, somewhere around there. Nikki Cavendish mentioned that I should seek you out, and I did. Fantastic. You basically uh, helped me get introduced to the Roy Hart work. Yes. Very indirectly at first. You never called it that, but it was something that slowly you were like, hey, you should check out this workshop that's happening at Banff. <laughs> and, then I, and that little workshop with at Banff rocked my world with Mr. Richard Armstrong and you and I think 12 other women and had a blast. Yes. That was the beginning of that. So when did you get first introduced to the Roy Hart work? Oh, well, that's been quite a while. I I first went to the BAMP Center as a burgeoning vocal coach. I think it was the early 90s, uh, like maybe 90, 91. Mm-hmm. And I applied to what was called the um, Brim Song. And then another point, it was called something else. But uh, essentially, it was exploring contemporary vocal repertoire and techniques. And so I was a participant, but also somewhat on staff. I was like staff in training. As a vocal coach being trained, we had sessions with both classical voice teachers, as well as Richard Armstrong, uh, who introduced us to the Roy Hart work. I remember taking my first class with Richard and, you know, lying on the floor and doing these breathing exercises and just feeling like my body was this bellows and my sense of how much air I could process and how much sound I could make was greatly enlarged, as well as the sense of what my my vocal range was. So it was very um, completely new to me. You know, as a classical musician, you don't have a lot of movement and body uh, classes like you do in theater. So it was kind of a new realm. That sounds like an amazing first opening for you, especially at Banff. Oh, yeah, it was fantastic. And we were taking movement classes and improv classes and stage fighting. And so we, it was really, it was called dramatic integration. And so we were really all integrating a very interdisciplinary practice. And so now a few years down the road, you're still in this arena, this avenue of exploration and guiding people. And what makes you love the work you do? Well, that's pretty easy for me to answer. I would say it's the embodiment and the body connection, really. You know, again, as someone who was initially, let's say at university level, you're kind of slotted into various uh, roles. 
as a child, I did everything. I sang, I played piano, I did art, I did everything. But at university, you start to select your area of expertise, and I became focused on piano. And there's a kind of a, I mean, you have to be connected to your body when you're playing piano, and that's something I learned as an instrumentalist too. But the degree of connection when I'm working with the voice is so much greater and so much more immediate. And just, uh, you know, on a very basic level, facial expression. You know, when you're playing an instrument, you can remain quite neutral. But when you're really fully engaged in vocalizing, your whole body is engaged, your face, your facial expression is engaged. It's like, you know, that image of a, an infant crying and they're crying with their entire body. I know, or, I'm always amazed at how the body reflects the state the voice is in. It seems so transparent, you know, if you're working, for example, with somebody who's really gestural and very active while they're singing or working, they probably have a pretty good range. I mean, you could make that assumption, I guess. Whereas somebody struggling or having a difficult time of it and their body starts to get tight and limited and highly controlled, how the body just purely exhibits the impulse around the voice I think it's it, such an amazing indicator it's yeah. uh, it's something that I use all the time as information yeah. when I'm teaching because and I will ge- I will get students to do gestures while they're vocalizing and I can immediately see if it's like a half-hearted gesture that really tells me about how much commitment they have to the sound that they're making um, you know, there's sometimes people throw it away, like there's no value yeah. and they throw the gesture away. And that tells me something about what they think about their voice. Yeah. It's an incredible tool, both in the production of sound and as well as in kind of like a, a barometer in a way. Well, then you, as a musician and an accompanist, you're trying to help people while well, you're supporting their voice with what you do very directly. So you, you have a really interesting perspective of watching how they work and express and then wanting to support them at the same time, lead them forward. It's a, it's a really interesting job you have. <laughs> well, the, this is where the instrumental uh, part comes in handy because I consider the piano that I'm, you know, the, the accompaniment that I'm playing is, is almost like a magic carpet or, or, or something for the singer to land on. And once we've kind of established a harmony or a connection or a, a meeting place there, then I can really guide the singer with a lot of nonverbal cues and follow, you know, like it's, it's equal parts of both. Um, where I can mirror and amplify something that, that the singer's doing so that they feel safe and maybe a little bit more uh, grounded and less exposed. And also I can encourage, you know, maybe a deepening or uh, lightening or brightening. So, yeah, I definitely use my piano playing as a very direct tool in how I encourage the students. And why do you keep doing this? Uh, well, they say you, you teach best what you need to learn. It's a lifelong journey for me. I call my students vocal sojourners, and I feel I am a vocal sojourner as well. It's, Mm -hmm. there's never an arrival point. There's 
always exploration and there's always journeying and discovery and rediscovery and reclaiming. And it's, I just think there is, there is a body of people out there for whom vocal connection has extreme value. And it's almost like a compulsion that I share and many of my students share. It's a compulsion, I think, for like interconnection to self, authentic, meaningful communication that uh, circumvents words uh, to others. So there's a kind of a community, a witnessing, a really being seen in maybe your ferocity, maybe in your tenderness, maybe in your playfulness in a way that doesn't always come out in our everyday interactions you know, at the grocery store, at the bank, et cetera. Yeah, this, so this aspect of release, because you're going out of your patterns, perhaps, of normal life. Uh, yeah, expanding the range. To, yeah, have a, a lovely release from, yeah. from just getting off the beaten path. Yeah, I think our normal vocal range is pretty limited, you know, our day-to-day expressions and just being able to kind of bust out of that box and make incredibly high, fragile peep sounds or really deep, authoritative or grounded kind of motor sounds or, you know, exploring the cracks in your voice. This is a real premise of the Roy Hart work, which is that we're not only interested in beautiful sounds, so-called beautiful sounds, but also the dark side of the moon, so to speak. (laughs) The, The protected places. Protected, hidden, not not so visible in the light of day. You know, like it could be just something that we're unfamiliar with. I was speaking with somebody earlier and they were talking about the the journey between head and chest voice. Mm. And I thought that, and the crack between, or the shift or the passaggio, if you will, uh, if you're more cultivated in that practice of bridging the different sounds and the resonate resonances. And there, there's this quite a dramatic change from head voice, a light sounding head voice to the more deep chest. And it, I just find that fascinating going between those two very different sounds and in that journey, sometimes it can feel complicated to get from one resonance to another. Well, I have a couple of comments about that. One is that I think there's a, a whole spectrum of resonators from head down to, you know, pelvis. And to some degree, it's, it's a little bit metaphoric, the Roy Hart approach in terms of perceiving where the actual sound is being produced. But I think it's a bit dualistic to just divide it into head, head and chest because there are degrees within each one of those resonators that you can explore. And then the other th- comment I would make is that the difference, the nomenclature is really important too, because by calling it a, a crack or a break, as a lot of people call it, there's a sense that it can't be bridged. Mm-hmm. And what I like about the term mm-hmm. passaggio it's that it means passageway or bridge. And so that the, it is something that we can actually cross over and, and kind of familiarize ourselves with. And sometimes that means being really messy and kind of clunking around as you try to find it. 
and being okay with that. A lot of it has to do with this perception that it, it has to be smooth and it has to be seamless. And that creates an almost, creates a greater level of impossibility, especially when you're starting out and you haven't had the chance to, you know, test your muscles the way a, a toddler would test their muscles and, and wobble and fall. And, and by falling, you learn how to uh, navigate it a little bit more. Yeah, and I, it makes me think of this idealization we may have for our voices or what we expect or hope our voices to sound like. And yet when you think of a toddler and how free they are, they're just wanting to move around and get to their feet or <laughs> stay on their bellies or, you know, crawl around. Well, so they're, they're driven they're, by curiosity. They're not driven by performance. Yeah. Or even a conscious idealization of what they should be standing like or how they should be moving in the world you know so there's this lack of self-awareness in that regard and I think from my experience of when I've worked with you as a as a singer I get stuck when I get an image or have an expectation on where I think I should be or how it should sound and if it if the reality isn't meeting my expectation, I get jarred. It's almost jarring for me. It's like, ah, how can I how how can I how can I do this? I'm so far away from what I think I should sound like. So Well, it's a it's a very common thing. It's something we all share. I mean, it's human, really. It's somehow I think in the voice it's more exposed. I mean, I don't think there's very many of us that would judge ourselves in the way that we pour a cup of tea but we do judge ourselves in how we uh, perform vocally and the image I often use with my students is that your job as a singer is to drive the car and driving the car is driving through the song you know the song has got this kind of pathway that's delineated for you in terms of the melody and the rhythm and if the moment you judge yourself it's almost like you've stepped outside of the car now and you're watching the car and you're going, hmm, I don't like this and hmm, I don't like that. Of course, the car is going to go off the road because you're not driving it anymore. You're now judging it. And it's that externalization, I think, where we, we kind of step outside of ourselves. We can just course correct the way we do when we're driving without judgment and take whatever comes as part of the route that we're traveling. And that's one of the beautiful challenges and rewards of singing is is learning to just navigate whatever comes yeah and practice that devotion or commitment to staying in the car yeah exactly I mean you could call it presence you could call it any number of things yeah. one thing I wanted to go back to maybe about the the question of head voice and chest voice and mm. and the disparity between the two and the difficulty sometimes to bridge the two and this is where the Roy Hart approach is that the voice is the muscle of the soul. And so sometimes it can have to do with who I, we identify with as a person or how we identify ourselves as a person. Sometimes I, I have students who have a real challenge identifying with their head voice. Let's say, you know, it could be a woman who, who wants to appear very strong and grounded and authoritative and there's a, 
a slight fear of being perceived as girlish or uh, weak or potentially even shrill in the upper range. And so you're not just dealing with a physical challenge now, but almost uh, an emotional or very personal sense of self. Similarly with men, you know, there can be either a fear of depths or a fear of heights or a fear, you know, for, more often with men, it's, it's uh, a desire to kind of create a big, powerful, strong sound. So the delicate sounds would be more challenging. Again, I'm sweeping some broad brush strokes. It, it really varies from person to person. And, and that's the beauty of it is that it's such a beautiful dive into our own sense of who we are and, and expanding that. So, so really, the focus of the Roy Hart work is that by expanding your voice, you're, you're expanding your sense of self. And, and similarly, just by living your life, you can be expanding your voice without even working vocally. Yeah, there's so many ways in, in this amazing world to expand our sense of self, just enjoy the world. Voice work, for me, has been this, uh, there's nothing else that seems to take me to the edge of who I am. Mm. Quite so raw away. It's the one thing that I feel most exposed at times, most vulnerable most free too it's just this free fall into my perceptions of self and the effects upon others that happen from just what happens here in the vibrations of the vocal cords it's this majestic thing that's yeah, it's in, it's incredibly liberating, can be incredibly liberating. And and really when you ask me what keeps me working in this world, it's it's that sense of delight and joy when a student is finding their voice and re- and by that I mean finding their authentic voice that that feels grounded, that feels connected. There's a sense of as I mentioned before reclaiming something that might have been lost or even rediscovering some or discovering something that has never been explored and the delight and the the radiance on on a student's face when they're when they're finding these parts of themselves it's it's just really such a joy i i just have a sense that i'm i'm making a meaningful impact in a way that because it's transformative it's transformative learning it's not necessarily just information passing on information so there's a there's a real sense of transformation in the students that is infectious and rewarding. Most people walk in wanting more control. Ah, interesting. And so yeah, we usually have to have a discussion about control and and is it really about control or maybe is it more about release and acceptance? It's almost like the perceived issue is not really the issue. And also, I think a lot of students walk in with what I call the primary myth about singing, which is that you earn the right to sing. And that until you have that beautiful sound and until you have those, you know, perfect sense of intonation or pitch, that you should therefore hold your voice back. And it's a little bit, (laughs) 
it reminds me of, you know, my grandfather was born in 1898 and uh, he was told by his parents that you can't go into the water until you know how to swim. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is, but this is how it's totally ridiculous, right? I mean, the man never learned how to swim. Oh, and yet this is how we approach the voice, right? We have this sense that we farm out vocal expression to those who have a gift to those who are professional and there's a real sense of shame almost about I haven't fully developed my voice to the degree that I would like and so yeah trying to circumvent that and just say hey and everybody has a god-given gift to sing and it's how how much we've explored that there's no shame in, in where we're at it's just really about accepting where we're at and being curious, it, it's a very good position to be exploring from, as opposed to judgment and criticism. Yeah, and when you're exploring where you're at, you get to understand the landscape and you gain experience. And then all of a sudden you you can swim. Yeah, and obviously there are some technical exercises you can learn along the way. But if, you're, if your beginning premise is, I'm unworthy until I know how, then it's really a challenge to actually make significant improvements. So, right. yeah, a lot of the time, the very the first lessons that I have with a student are really just about being free to actually make sound. And, you know, I call it throwing the garbage out. Like, just throw the garbage out. <laughs> just put the sound out there. We can finesse <laughs> it later. What would that look like, throw the garbage out? For somebody who has no idea what you're talking about. So let's say it often happens, let's say when I'm doing a warm up with a student, we're gradually going up the scale. We kind of we kind of go down the scale and then up the scale in very slow, long tones just to get a sense of uh, where things are at. And I call it almost like a walk through the garden. You know, we're just going to see what's in bloom, what's not in bloom. There's no judgment. There's just exploration and curiosity. And often as we approach the higher range, that tends to be the place where people tighten up and hold back. Ah, and then yeah. it becomes almost a self-fulfilling prophecy that, you know, I think I'm going to sound terrible. Therefore, I hold back. Therefore, my voice is not what I thought it would be. So then I say, well, there's a couple images. You know, one is when you get to the upper notes, just throw the garbage out. It's like just throw your voice out without concern. Yeah. yeah. Or the other image is if your voice was money, spend just spend it. <laughs> <laughs> just go on a spending spree so do you have an exercise that people could explore with sure let's go back to the toddler idea okay and the curiosity and the sense of exploration and lack of stakes let's say mm -hmm. so imagine that you just woke up this morning and discovered you have a voice and you never knew you had a voice before. And you have no preconceptions about what that voice can or cannot do. And literally, you could hum, sing, make whatever sound you want because you've never had a voice. You have no idea what this voice can do. And so purely driven by curiosity, you just spend two or three minutes the way a toddler would with a new toy that they don't know what it is for. And just see all the various things that your voice can do. It's really purely exploratory. It's that sense of, it's really to instill the sense of curiosity and exploration. 
And it's really remarkable what, uh, how it can free people up to let go of all the preconceptions of what they think singing should and should be. Mm. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please tell someone. And you can contact me and let me know what you think and what you'd be interested in hearing about at thevoicework.com.